0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Morning. Thank you, Micah, wherever you are, lost in the woods. Let's hope he's okay and comes back. (laughs) Um, Yes, my name is Jenna Daniels, and I am very excited to be speaking with you today. Um, I have been attending Awaken now for a little over a year. And I probably don't know know most of you because I'm not a 930 girl. I am an 11 o'clocker through and through. Um, And I'm one of those churchgoers where my introvert takes over. So I go up to my spot in the balcony. I sit and I listen and I leave (laughs) right away because I have so much to process. Um, So like uh, Micah said, I just finished my first year at Bethel Seminary So, three more years left, and I'm trying not to think about it. Um, So, we are in the series of Summer Voices, and Micah or somebody had this great idea that four women would speak on four women in the Bible that have been influential. So, last week, Mary Ween spoke on Mary, Mother of God, and this week, I am doing the same. (laughs) So, I figure Mary is a safe bet. She is the most influential female figure in the history of Christianity. No doubt about it. And people have a lot to say about Mary. Um, everything from her sinlessness, doctrines about that, to her perpetual virginity, all kinds of things. Um, for our entertainment today, we have the Gaither Vocal Band, who also tried to weigh in on this conversation about Mary, if we want to play the clip here. did you know... That your baby boy Will one day walk on water Mary, did you know That your baby boy Will save our sons and daughters Oh, I love that. I'm sorry if anybody likes that song, but I hate it. (laughs) And... After second service, there's going to be a nail in the coffin of Mary. Did you know anything that can add tiki torches and Hawaiian shirts? I just, it's over. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I just thought, when else am I going to play that clip? (laughs) Um, What we are talking about today is Luke 2. So you can prepare yourselves, open your Bibles, get your phones or whatever it is you look at. Um, and before we get started, I'm going to need everyone to do me a favor, because we are going to be looking at a passage that is very familiar to us. So I need you to take your Christmas glasses off, set them aside, I'll tell you when you can put them on, not today. Um, so we are going to be starting in verse 8, and I am going to pray, and then we can jump in. Lord you know where we are today. You know our needs and our wants. And I ask that your spirit would come and move from heart to heart and help us to see you in new and fresh ways. In your name we pray. Amen. So verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the hev- highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There are four things that we need to pick out from this with regards to how the Messiah is being described. Number one, he is savior. Number two, he is lord. Number three, he is born of God. And number four, he will bring peace and good news. There just so happens to be another figure in this time period that was described in those same four ways. Any guesses? Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. So what we're going to look at now is not found in your Bibles. This um, was an inscription found in a calendar during like an excavation. It's dated back to 9 AD. Caesar was born in 63 BC and this was an account of his birth. So you can see it on the screen here and I'll read it. Since Providence, capital P, Providence which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior for both us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him, which Asia resolved in Smyrna. (laughs) So what on earth is going on? And why is Luke describing Jesus, the Messiah, like Caesar. Well, there are a couple things. We're going to look at two things here. Number one, what Luke is doing. And number two, what the shepherds and Mary are hearing. So number one, what Luke is doing is speaking to his audience. He's writing to Greeks who are very familiar with the language of the empire. And so what he is saying is, is that you know Caesar as this unsurpassable figure. Nobody is above. Nobody is more powerful. Nobody has a greater ability to provide, keep the peace of the empire. Pax Romana was his political decree. But Jesus is that. And as we go through the argument of Luke and the portrayal of Jesus as king we see that this king's kingdom is very different, at times antithetical or opposite to that of Caesar's, and it surpasses it. This is very much so part of the argument of the gospel, and Luke is very intentionally starting with this figure to make a point of Jesus. (sighs) Now for the good stuff. How are Mary and the shepherds hearing this announcement? So not only do they understand the language of the empire, they're not Roman citizens, but they know, but they also have the Jewish expectation of Messiah. So what does that mean? Messiah, in its most basic definition, is a savior figure. That's a common phrase in a lot of cultures. They have these pictures and stories of savior figures. Now, where the idea really originates is actually in Genesis, in the garden, in which the fall of humanity, or creation, happened. Something was broken and needs restoration. So this idea and this worldview is carried through the history of Israel, that something is broken and needs to be restored. And this Messiah figure is going to do that. It became incredibly pertinent in the era of the kings, Who is the most famous king? David. (laughs) Not a trick question. (laughs) David is the most famous king. His reign is unparalleled in the mind of Israelites. His reign was marked by prosperity and abundance and victory. David is wiping out enemies left and right. The people are being provided for and taken care of in his reign. What they had every time a king or a prophet was raised up is this idea and expectation that this one might be the one that restores Israel. So much so that every time a king was ushered in, he was ushered in in messianic language. He might be the great king. But the Messiah... His reign was to exceed that of David's. So you can start to understand how huge this is when the word like Messiah gets thrown around, that the Messiah is here. One final point before we get into, I guess, what they're hearing is actually a point that Micah had made a couple of months ago. So when we were going through the Eat This Book series, which is, for those of you who don't know, we just went start to finish through the Bible. And by the time we got to the Gospels, we, um, Micah had explained that God had been silent for 400 years. The last prophet was Malachi in 433 B.C. And so for 400 years, the people had no representative of God to lead them. Generations went through just needing to go off of stories. And by the time Jesus comes along, this Messiah started to take on new ideas. He was to have a miraculous birth, and that kind of was from the very beginning. But now what the Messiah was to do is to politically and economically liberate the nation of Israel. They were to be restored to a glory that surpasses that of King David. And so when the shepherds hear the Messiah has come and they hear language about Caesar, their brains are just going crazy. This is it. So you had best believe that those shepherds were running, trying to find the baby and telling everybody the Messiah is here. But Mary ponders these things in her heart. Well, I would argue that that serene picture is not really accurate. Just bear with me. I'm not saying that the Bible is not accurate. (laughs) In Luke 1, starting in verse 46, this is after Mary finds out that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. So this is a big deal. She goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth goes, Ooh, girl! You're highly favored. (laughs) Mary's like, yeah, I know. And she says this song. Uh, It's also called the Magnificat. So if you ever hear that word, now you know what it is. So Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. And so not only is Mary characterizing the faithfulness of God and rejoicing and celebrating in that, but when she says he brought down rulers from thrones... In her brain, she is thinking, he did it then, he's doing it again. My baby is King Caesar. (laughs) That is what she is thinking. And so what happened from Luke 1 to Luke 2, in which now she is pondering these things and treasuring them in her heart? There are a couple ways we can interpret this. I would argue that probably on a very basic level, she's wondering how... How is this going to happen? But the reality is, is that we don't know. The text doesn't say. What I think, <laughs> whether this matters or not, what I think, <laughs> I think what might be happening is that Mary is beginning to see that her expectations and understanding of God might need to be redefined. And her response is everything. Everything and why Mary is my girl that I chose. This verse for me has been terribly affirming and transforming for me. The phrase was used commonly in the Hebrew tradition, to treasure up all things and to ponder these things. Kind of a translation of that. It means to deliberate in order to interpret or to make sense of and narrate what God is doing in history. So in other words, when Mary ponders these things, and she treasures them, she is holding what she expects and knows of God, along with the way that he has revealed himself as of late. She is holding these things in tension and anticipating the purpose and meaning of this revelation. Revelation. We are going to shift gears a little bit here, and we are going to talk about revelation. So, I understand that that word probably means different things for each of us as we come from different backgrounds. So we are going to start off with a very basic definition. Um, So we're all on the same page. So, basic definition, and this definition is... um, basically from its usage from the Old and New Testament. So it's not your Merriam-Webster. It's how Revelation is seen in Scripture. So it is the unveiling of something hidden so that it may be seen and known for what it is. God discloses his nature, character, will, purpose in order that people may know something more about him. It is to make obscure things clear, bringing hidden things to light, showing signs, speaking words, causing persons to see, hear, know, and understand. I would argue this happened in Luke 2. The shepherds had a very normal response. That is very expected. And there's nothing bad about that response. But Mary, receiving the same revelation for the second time, responded in an incredibly wise way. We, as people, are so quick to speak, so quick to share what God is doing, so quick to decide what God is doing, and so quick to react to what God is doing. Sometimes out of excitement, sometimes out of fear, sometimes out of needing to prove our worth and importance to those around us. It is not bad to do that. But the point that I am trying to make, as seen in Mary's response to the revelation, is this. When we allow the things of God to take shape in our lives before we begin sharing and giving things away to other people, we not only give God the time and space that is needed in order for transformation and healing to happen in our lives, but I would also argue that it gives God an opportunity to redefine our expectation of what it means to follow This God that became like us. As Christians, we declare the most ludicrous thing ever that God took on every part of humanity. There is nothing that we experience in our lives that has not been experienced by God. Nothing. He has taken everything. We are crazy. But I'm glad it's true. Now, I would like to make a distinction, because what I'm not saying is that we need to be isolated and (laughs) do this alone. Community is a very important thing. And we have an inner circle of people, hopefully, that have the authority to speak into and to help us process and to... Help us make sense of the things that God reveals to us. I am not arguing that that should go away. It needs to be there. What I am addressing is our impatience to share things with others before it is a part of us. Now, religious context or not, we all know the damage that can happen when we speak things too soon. I don't think I need to explain that. (laughs) We also know... What happens when somebody tries to say something to us or to another in which they don't have the authority to say because they don't know us, they don't know our hearts? So, what I would say in this series that Micah has been going through, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Spirit and this change that is happening in our community in which we are seeking to follow and discern and listen to the Spirit as we are together, as we are in our lives, that point is very important to remember. Sometimes we can do more damage than good if we speak too soon and do not let ourselves become familiar with the depth in which God speaks to us. I would argue that we need to let God reveal those things in his time. What does that mean? How do you know if it's time? I think you just do. <laughs> but I think the mark of whether or not it's time is there is resonance among many. Find us online at www at AwakenCommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community. or on Twitter at AwakenCommunity. See you mm-hmm. next time.